Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the conference uh, team preview series rolls on. Tonight we go to upstate New York. We got to talk about the Syracuse Orange, Mike. Dino Babers, boys. We got a, a new guest on the podcast with us, a, a, a great source of knowledge who uh, is local to the Syracuse program. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about him? We do, yeah. Nate Mink joining us, Syracuse.com, uh, Syracuse beat writer, of course, for the Orange, uh, helping us ring in the new football season for 10-win Syracuse. So, Nate, what's going on, man? I'm doing well, guys. Really appreciate you having on. And, and, and be honest, what, did you ever think you'd, you'd say the words 10-win Syracuse at the start of a, of a football podcast? I did not. No, at least not anytime soon. And especially, I mean, you, you look at last year and the way that it turned out. I mean, they went 10-3. and three, they, they won some pretty big games. But I think it's worth mentioning, too, that that was coming on the tail of a pair of four and eight seasons, right? I mean, that was a major jump. They were one of the biggest surprises in the country. Um, I think they caught a lot of people's attention there by about the middle of the season that people were surprised and, and hoping that Syracuse could make a bowl game, much less be like the second or third best team in the ACC. Um, what was the big thing that you saw that was the biggest difference in 2018 as, as compared to previous years? And is it reasonable to think that it could continue into 2019? So I'm going I'm to answer that question this way. Not only was it a pair coming off a pair of four and eight win seasons, it was a trio of four and eight win seasons. And the year before that, in 2014, they were three and nine. So, I mean, this, this program was really, really down uh, by the time – Dino took over ahead of the 2016 season, and you know to answer your question, I would I would say the program at the time Syracuse started ACC play in 2013, it was funded more closely to a Group of Five conference team than an ACC team, and the administration and the athletic department really needed to up its up its spending and up its game uh, relative to the teams that it was going to start playing, you know, on a, on a year-by-year basis. You know, they weren't going to play, you know, the, the Connecticut's and the South Florida's and the Rutgers and the Cincinnati's and the teams that they were, that they were playing in the Big East uh, and, and contending for Big East championships, uh, you know, it, when Doug Marone was the coach here. Um, you know, they were going to start playing Clemson and Florida State and North Carolina State, and, you know, occasionally they were going to see Miami and a, and a Virginia Tech in the crossover division. And, you know, they, they that's just a different, that's just a different ball game. And so I think you really started to see a turn gradually when Syracuse started adding 
uh, you know, support staff members, and they started paying a little bit more close attention to their recruiting staff and, and uh, you know, graphics and designs and the video equipment has been upgraded and all these sort of ancillary things has sort of helped lay the foundation for hiring the right football coach. And I don't think that can be overstated at all, as I think, uh, you know, Syracuse needed to have – uh, a really good football coach in the head coaching position if they were going to have a chance to really climb the ladder at the ACC. You know, they weren't going to outslug Clemson and Florida State in the trenches by playing the way Clemson and Florida State played. And they had to, I think, really start to take advantage of the aspects of their program that make them different. You know, the Carrier Dome is the only dome facility at the Power 5 level. You know, so you have an opportunity to... to air it out and, and, and run sort of the Baylor up-tempo system that you're seeing here with, with Dino and his offense. And it's, and it, you know, lo and behold, they're starting to shatter a bunch of records and, and put up big numbers and score some points. So this has really been a, a multi-year process. It's been a slow rebuild. Um, but now that they have the right coach in place, who is now implementing his system and getting his players tailored to that system, you're starting to see uh, things slowly take off here. And last year was was a really big turning point uh, for the program because, you know, some of those freshman offensive and defensive linemen that needed to get onto the field and play uh, way ahead of schedule back in 2016, well, last year they're all of a sudden, you know, redshirt sophomores and, and juniors and, and they're, they're grown up. You know, they put on – good weight they they got stronger uh you know all of a sudden they're pushing guys around and they're not getting pushed around anymore and and that that's just you know that's just simply program development that is just sort of the natural process that needs to occur when you're when you're turning over a program and rebuilding a program and uh you know last year they they largely avoided the injury bug and, and their best players were able to stay on the field most and, and for all 12 and 13 games and and you look up and, and you're ten and three coming off a, a a good bowl win against West Virginia and here you are now going into twenty nineteen. You have a lot of returning veterans with a lot of game experience who are again a year older, a year stronger, a year faster. And I think that you know, it, it's a long winded answer, but I think that's how you you arrived from a, you know, from a three and nine, a four and eight into a ten and three and now a, a preseason top twenty five team. Nate, I had a question about Dino Babers in particular. And one of the things we've been doing with these previews is kind of reviewing with the coaching staff um, and kind of where things stand with them. And, and there's usually there's two ways of looking at this is either is the coach going to be on the hot seat or is the coach, you know, potentially going to get hired away for something bigger. And Dino Babers after last year's season is a name that I've been starting to hear come up. You know, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago where they were talking about a situation where let's just pretend that Dabo gets hired at, at Alabama and Clemson needs to replace their coach. And one of the hosts was saying the first place I'd be looking is Dino Babers. And to me, Syracuse to Clemson seems like a little bit of a jump, but certainly people are starting to have conversations around Dino Babers. Like he, he might be uh, a good candidate for kind of an upper tier power five job next have you gotten any indication that he's had any conversations with people about that? Or is there even a realistic chance that he would be hired away from Syracuse in the near future? Or is he seemingly pretty happy with where he's at and, and just kind of wants to stick around Syracuse for a while? 
Sure. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if I don't know of any conversations he's had. I mean, it's, it's it's you know the end of July as we record this. So I mean, you know, I think certainly, um, you know, I, I'll say this: he he was pursued last off season, and he ended up signing a long term contract extension to remain at Syracuse. Now that obviously doesn't preclude you know the coaching carousel from spinning and uh, you know sort of the. Uh, if a if like a USC or an Auburn or any you know quote unquote big name program would happen to open up, you know uh, at the end of the 2019 season going into 2020, it's it's certainly within reason to expect Dino to be at the top or near the top of, of many of those coaching search lists. I mean, anytime I think you you have you turn in the type of season and you and you have the type of success and progress. At a, at a place like Syracuse, you're going to naturally attract the eyeballs of university presidents, university chancellors, athletic directors, <laughs> boosters that, you know, in many cases really pull the strings behind the scenes to, to make some of these decisions. Um, you know, I, I, I can guarantee you Dino has been on everyone's radar for a long time. And as a matter of fact, you know, I'll, I'll throw this out. I mean, this, is, this has been reported. Um I think Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, mentioned that that Dino was going to be very, very high on his list if they were not able to to secure Ryan Day to be Urban Meyer's uh, replacement. So I think that right there, I mean, you're talking about Ohio State. That's about as good a job as there is in, in the country. Certainly on on a level of an Ohio State or an, as an Alabama or a Clemson or a USC. Um, so I think those are the types of jobs. That if, if Dino is going to leave Syracuse, it's going to be for one of those elite blue blood jobs. I don't I don't think there's much middle ground with him anymore. I think he's at a place where if he feels supported, uh, I think he strongly believes you know he can contend for a conference championship. And, and in the world we're in, at the world we're in now, all you need to do is win your conference. And you're going to have a shot at the playoff and a shot at the national championship, and that is that is the top criteria, I think, for him at this stage in his coaching career. Is he wants to win a national championship. So if he's in a position at Syracuse where, uh, you know, he can he's looking at you know potentially one or two games against Clemson and Florida State, where he knows if he wins those two games, he's in the driver's seat in the ACC Atlantic, and in turn the driver's seat to win the ACC. I think. Uh, you know he's going to be very comfortable staying at Syracuse. Uh, that said, I mean he's he's going to if a if a USC or an Auburn opens up. I mean I think you know those are schools. Certainly, you history has shown you can you have the ability to win national championships at those schools as well too. So I think if, if for him it's it's ultimately going to come down to uh, does he feel supported at Syracuse. Does he feel he can climb the mountain and reach the summit at Syracuse? Uh, and if those if those two questions get checked off, uh, I think he I think you know it's not a foregone conclusion that he's just gonna uh, gonna uh, skip town just for a perceived bigger, better, high paying job. Nate, it sounds like Mike is having a couple of issues um, on his end with the technology, but we'll keep rolling here. Um, I was going to ask about the quarterback situation, and I think as much as there is quite a bit of quarterback turnover in the ACC coming into this year, I don't know that 
the the conference is kind of watching any situation quite like they're watching the one at Syracuse and it it's not like it's a we're looking at it like it's a QB competition but more kind of curious to see if Tommy Tommy DeVito can like particularly you know how how well he does at following up from Eric Dungy and his time at Syracuse Dungy was a, an a, amazing player to watch he he had some s- struggles I'll say staying healthy but that was a lot more because he was just a, an absolute grinder and, and, a, and a very physical ball player. Um, it, it seems like going to Tommy DeVito, you're going to switch to a guy who's a little bit more of a prolific passer, but he's maybe not quite as mobile. Is that a, an appropriate read on the situation? And would we say that we would expect to see the offense look a little bit differently with a different skill set there under center or behind I, I, center? I, yeah, I, think, I think you're right about that the offense is definitely going to look different. I think, you know, certainly, uh, you know, Eric Dungy was the starting quarterback really for, for four years here. Um, a dual, a true dual threat weapon uh, can, can certainly hurt you with his legs as well as his arms. Uh, so he, uh, you know, the offense was tailored to match his skill set. Tommy's skill set is, is different. It, you know, he has a quick release. He has a, he has a quicker release. He's more of a pocket passer. He wants to be a pocket passer first. Uh, you know, he obviously can stretch the field vertically very, very far. Um, but I, I will I will push back a little bit on the notion that uh, he can't run. Um, he, he's, he's, he's a quick kid. He, he actually tested faster than, than Dungy when they were both in the program. So he's, he's actually a, a pretty fast kid with, with good straight line speed, but he's not going to be looking to tuck the ball and run at the first sign of trouble. I think if he has time, he's going to want to stand in there and, and deliver the ball to his receivers and, and have those guys run around and, and make plays. But I think if the push comes to shove and, and he gets flushed from the pocket, you know, he does have a little bit of wheels on him that he can, that he can improvise behind there and, and, and squirt out of trouble. Um, but you know, DeVito, I think again, to the larger point, I don't, I don't know if Syracuse could be in a better position than they are as it pertains to turning over from a record setting, uh, player favorite in Eric Dungy, a fan favorite in Eric Dungy, uh, to, to, to a guy in, in DeVito who this is going to be his third year in the program. He redshirted as a true freshman and then got onto the field last year and, and, and got good experience. I mean, this wasn't just mop-up time that DeVito was out there for. I mean, he got in against Florida State for half the game and let them do a victory. He got inserted in the final five minutes of, of what ended up being an overtime win against North Carolina and, and delivered a victory against the Tar Heels uh, and then obviously played the majority of the game against Notre Dame late in the season and, and struggled against, a, a, obviously, a, a playoff caliber opponent. But but the point is, is that, you know, this is a guy who has been learning behind the scenes, you know, for, for two, three years now and has ample playing experience that I think the expectation inside the program amongst his teammates, himself, and, and most importantly, the coaches, is that he's going he's gonna to take the baton and run with it. I mean, there, I don't think there is much fear that there's going to be a, a steep learning curve here. I mean, he, he's been on the field. He's, he's gone up against a Notre Dame defense, uh, a Florida State defense. He's seen sort of the, the top-level competition that, that is out there um, and in some cases played, played very well last year. So, you know, he's, he's 
well-respected in that locker room. Uh, he's been a leader, really, the, the moment he stepped on campus during a, a junior day visit as a, as a high school recruit. I mean, that is something that some of the, the coaches and staff members who were around the building at the time noticed about him is just the way he carried himself, and, and guys tended to follow him. I mean, he, he checks off a lot of boxes, uh, and, you know, he's obviously going to be responsible for making the offense go. And, uh, you know, I think if, if Syracuse wants to reach its ceiling this year and really push and challenge, uh, you know, for a, for a really special season and, and potentially a New Year's Six Bowl game, you know, DeVito's going to have to really, I think, play well and, and play up to the level that so many in the program think he can play to right away. What I will say, Nate, is that as a, as a Georgia Tech guy, for DeVito coming in, this situation reminds me a little bit a few years ago of Justin Thomas. Um, Justin Thomas taking over at Georgia Tech there in 2014. He was a, a sophomore coming in. He had never really been particularly close to being the starter. You know, He hadn't seen a ton of game time. He comes in in year one as a starter and leads the team to the Orange Bowl. Um, and the reason that, that reminds me, that this situation reminds me of that is that yeah, DeVito comes in and he didn't have a, a ton of playing time last year, but he's going to be surrounded by a ton of senior uh, skill talent, uh, both at the running back, running back position and the wide receiver core. I mean, he loses Jamal Custis from last year, but brings back Sean Riley, Nikeem Johnson, Taj Harris. Um, he's got Mo Neal at running back right there. I mean, he's got a supporting cast there that gives him a lot of weapons to distribute the ball to and, and really a lot of things for the defense to keep, you know, have to keep in mind and, and pay attention to as opposed to him. So really it feels like he couldn't ask for a much better supporting cast to step into the starting role and try to pick up and, and keep this offense rolling like it was last year. I absolutely agree. And, and I won't just, I won't just end the conversation with, with his skill receivers. I think he, he's fortunate to have the amount of returning talent coming back on the defensive side of the ball and in special teams as well. I mean, the, 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 virtually the entire defensive line returns, virtually, which, which by the way, ended the season last year with 43 sacks, which I think only Penn State and Alabama and, and Clemson had more. So uh, Clemson obviously is flushing out its entire starting uh, defensive line. Uh, so, I mean, you're talking about one of the best, no doubt, unequivocally, one of the best defensive lines in the ACC and, and possibly the country this year for Syracuse. You have virtually their entire secondary coming back, uh, including a, a sophomore safety who's getting a lot of preseason pub in Andre Sisco. He uh, led the nation uh, with seven interceptions last year as a true freshman. So they have a, a very, very strong pass rush uh, that if they can get after the quarterback and force the quarterback into some hurried decision-making, on the back end of that defense, they have an opportunistic defense that uh, was was top five in the nation in takeaways last year. So that's a recipe for if you have a if you have a a new quarterback, it, he doesn't have to do it all himself. You know, he's going to have a, a, a good defense behind him to back him up. And then on special teams, I mean, you have the Groza Award winner coming back in Andre Schmidt. You have a fifth-year senior punter who's seemingly been around forever, it's Sterling Hoffrichter. He's a first-team preseason all-ACC type player who potentially has a future to, to kick at the next level. So, you know, hitting yardage, I think, is going to be able to help DeVito out this year. Uh, 
The defense, I think, is going to be able to help DeVito out this year. Obviously, you referenced the, the, the cadre of receivers and running backs that he has at his disposal. You know, the big the big question mark, and I think we're going to get into it, is, is the offensive line. I mean, that is really uh, on everyone's radar, everyone's to-do list, uh, is how are they going to retool an offensive line that last year was very, very durable, did not have any injury issues at all last year. Uh, they were able to rotate, in, in some cases, seven guys last year, so they had very good depth to keep some guys fresh throughout the course of 13 games. And they had, obviously, a lot of production. They were able to, to really, for the first time in Dino's tenure, run the ball when they wanted to run the ball. And obviously, they had uh, the, the pass game balance that out, and, and that's what I think we're, I think that is the biggest reason biggest factor that the offense took off the way it did a year ago is because their offensive line was finally in a place where it could produce in the running game and, and, and protect the quarterback. Nate, the offensive line, like you mentioned, it's one of those areas on Syracuse's roster that's likely the biggest question mark, like you just mentioned. And I think the one thing that's really interesting when looking at Syracuse heading to the year is that they're thought by many anyway to be the second best team in the Atlantic division. But with all the question marks on the offensive line, why do you think uh, that Syracuse is one of those teams that everybody is expecting to be so good when they are replacing essentially their entire offensive line? And Tommy DeVito, even though he came into the game last year, he really is a new quarterback in the system as a starter. Yeah, Mike, I think, I think it's actually, it's not a cop out, but I think a lot of preseason, uh, prognosticators tend to, to, to make predictions based off the previous year. And, you know, last year, obviously, Syracuse had a very good year. They won 10 games. And, and uh, you know, there's not many uh, teams in the ACC, you know, particularly the, the, maybe the usual suspects that you would typically rank ahead of Syracuse that really that really did a lot last year or return uh, the, the type of talent that makes you really think they're in for a big step forward. I mean, Louisville is starting over under a first-year coach. Florida State, uh, you know, was 5-7 and seven last year. Willie Taggart going into year two. He has offensive line question marks. He has uh, quarterback depth question marks. You know, there's still, I think, uh, kind of a wait-and-see approach to see if he's going to be the right guy to turn it around down there. You know, North Carolina State is probably your best candidate uh, in terms of, of 2018 success. But you look at who they lose. I mean, they lose virtually their entire offense. I mean, in Ryan Finley, in Reggie Gillespie, in Kelvin Harmon, in Jacoby Myers, in Garrett Bradbury, in their offensive coordinator. <laughs> I mean, they, they, are, they are kind of starting over from scratch on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I am, I am kind of bullish on Wake. I think Wake is going to be very good. This season, I think, you know, much like like uh, Dino at Syracuse, I think Dave Clawson is, is building a good foundation at Wake and recruiting to his tempo system. And, and he's, you know, been quietly stockpiling some really, really good skill position uh, talent in his own right. Uh, you know, Sage Surratt, uh, they have a couple good four-star receivers that, who are freshmen coming in this year. So I think they're, they're maybe in my dark horse pick in the ACC. But I, I think Syracuse picked to finish second just because, you know, they won 10 games last year, and then you look at who they have coming back, you know, particularly on that defensive line and in that secondary, and then you look at the receivers, the running backs, and a, and a quarterback who, you know, those who follow the ACC closely at least know the name and are familiar with, and they have a body of work 
that they can turn to and they can flip the film on and see that, you know, he kind of exploded for almost 200 yards in about five minutes against North Carolina. And they, they see that and they say, okay, you know, I mean, who, they kind of shrug their shoulders and say, all right, well, who else are we going to, going to put here? I mean, and oh, by the way, guys, I mean, that this was, this was the team that, that gave Clemson a rock fight last year in Death Valley. I mean, I think, I don't, I don't think that goes unnoticed either. I mean, this is a team that obviously pulled off the upset in, in 2017. And then last year when Clemson had every reason in the world not to overlook Syracuse, you know, Syracuse goes down there and leads them for virtually all the game and only and only relinquishes the lead in the final 45 seconds. Uh, so I think that opened up a lot of people's eyes. And, and, uh, and I think that's, in a nutshell, I think the reason why uh, people are falling in love with, with them in that two spot right now going into the season. Nate, I want to talk about the, the defense on this team. I mean, a lot of people are pretty enamored with the offense and kind of what they were able to do. They scored a lot of points last year. They played a lot of high-scoring games. But it seems like, I mean, if anybody's trying to find a reason not to believe in this Syracuse team coming into this year, it has a lot to do with the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they struggled a decent amount last year and and kind of trying to hold teams off the board. They didn't play a ton of close games, honestly. Um, had an over a double overtime win against North Carolina, gave up 37 points. Um, gave up 44 to Pittsburgh in a loss, uh, that kind of thing. But at the same time, I mean, there's there's a couple of key pieces getting lost on this defense, um, both in the linebacking core and then in the secondary. Is there any real amount of concern about the defense and kind of what they're going to be able to produce this year? Or if that's the national narrative, is, is the national narrative just not, not particularly well-informed or uh, kind of blowing things out of proportion a little bit? I would, I would, I would actually point towards uh, the latter a little bit. Um, you know, if you listen to uh, to Dino at, at uh, the ACC media event in Charlotte, he actually said the defense was probably going to be the strength of this year's team. Um, so I think if there is a narrative out there that the defense is is maybe uh, slowing, is holding this this program back or holding this team back, you know, I, I think uh, you know they're going to obviously be out to, to prove that narrative wrong. Um, and I thought last year they, they really did. Uh, I thought they took a, a massive step forward to playing much better. Now I will, I will, I will, I will lend credence to the idea that uh, in 2016 and 2017 their their defense was was not good. You know, 2016 was historically you know the worst defense in the history of the program, and that I think had a lot to do with implementing a new defensive system with personnel that was suited for uh, the previous regime system 2017 i think you actually saw a, a good bit of improvement up until you know the final three games of the season when injuries caught up with them and you know the, the dam broke and you ran into you know the schedules happened to, to uh, hit you with lamar jackson at a time when you know he, you're you're rushing out second and third stringers in your secondary so that's that's certainly not ideal by any stretch of the imagination but last year um you know number one they stayed relatively healthy all year and i think as as we have this discussion about you know expectations for this year i think that is going to be far and away the number one factor for whether Syracuse can replicate last year's successes is will they have the right amount of injury luck go their way like they like they did a, a year ago because this is not a Clemson or or a Georgia or, a, or an Ohio State where they have waves and waves of depth I mean from 1 to 36 to 40 they they can play with 
probably anyone in the country, but once you start getting into those second and third stringers, if they get dinged at the wrong position, I think that's where, you know, the, the season can turn for the worse if, if Syracuse isn't careful. But, uh, but their defense, their defense, uh, like I said, I mean, their, their sack rate went up from, went from 16 to 43 from 2017 to 2018. I mean, that's just an extraordinary, exceptional jump in production. Uh, they're getting more pressure on the quarterback, which obviously is going gonna, is gonna to help you defensively in all areas. Their takeaways skyrocketed. They were top five in the country in takeaways last year, so they were, they were turning teams over at, a, at an exceptional rate. And, and I get it, maybe, maybe interceptions and fumble recoveries and bounces go your way, and, and that, there's a little bit of luck involved with that. So uh, you know, even, if you, even if you revert back a little bit to the mean in, in the turnover category, you know, I still think with with the returning talent they ha- that they have on the defensive line that they're really going to be able to, to stop the run and pressure the quarterback, and those are really, really two important hallmarks of any good defense. And, you know, they have two senior bookend defensive ends in Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman. Both are two of the best defensive ends in the conference, you know, double digit sack guys a year ago, you know, if they're on the field, they're going to, they're going to cause problems for opposing offensive tackles. And if you, you know, if you, if you pressure the quarterback, you know, good things tend to happen. Uh, they've always been under, under their defensive coordinator, Brian Ward. They've always seemingly been, especially the last couple of years, really, really good on third down. So, uh, they get off the field when they're supposed to get off the field. You know, some of the some of the statistics when you look at, you know, total defense and, and points allowed and, and things like that, you know, you, you almost have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt at times because the tempo that Syracuse plays offensively, they drive up the play count. And when you're playing 80, 85 snaps a game, that's just, the, I mean, the other team's going to get a bunch of snaps too. And that, that – will naturally wear down a defense. So uh, over time, you know, the, the yardage numbers may not look pretty. You know, some point totals may not look pretty. But, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing, you know, this program really cares about is having more points than the opponent. And, you know, if they give up, you know, there's a – what someone on staff told me uh, at the onset uh, of, of this whole thing in, in 2016 that they felt that if they can hold an opponent – to 28, 27 points a game, and their yards per play to, I want to make sure I get this right, 5.2, I believe, yards per play. If they can hold an opponent to 5.2 yards per play and 28 points a game, the way their offense is designed to work, they should win every game. They should go undefeated. So I think you kind of have to view defensive performance through that lens at, at in, in some cases. Um but again, I think at, at the end of the day, you, you look at the production that this defensive line puts up last year and the fact that they have virtually every major contributor on that defensive line coming back this year. You know, I think the expectation going into, into 2019 is that they should replicate their defensive success and they, and they should be one of the better units in the, in the ACC. Nate, that's a great segue. Yards per play from 2018, 2017 to 2018 went from 6.4 to 5.8. Last year, uh, Syracuse, like you mentioned earlier, they were excellent in regards to the turnover margin, which, you know, we get that some of that's luck, but they were first in the ACC and fifth nationally in turnover margin. 
Um, this is a defense that, by all indications, you know, should have a very good pass rush. I think that a lot of people are expecting them to, and they have a, a veteran secondary that should be very good. The one thing that you mentioned that kind of struck me is, you know, the yards per play, the yards per game stats don't really tell the whole story. I mean, Syracuse's pass defense last year was 116th in the country. Uh, was not very good against the pass statistically, but at the same time, if you're scoring 35, 40, 45 points per game, you're feeling pretty good about uh, where the defense is at, even if you take marginal steps forward heading into the season. Yeah, good good defense starts to have a different meaning at that point. Yeah, and I would I would even just add this. I mean, I think a, a, they I, no one will push back on the notion that they gave up too many big plays last year. Uh, it, you know, that is certainly you know something that that Andre Cisco, for as good of a season statistically he had, seven interceptions. If you get in the film room with Andre, or you get in in the film room with uh, with some of their defensive coaches, you know they'll point out all the things Andre didn't do well last year. You know, taking bad angles. Um, you know, losing, you know, losing his assignment downfield, you know, that, that stuff, all it takes is one slip up and it's six points. Um, And you can, you, sometimes you can mask some of that stuff with a turnover, you know, and it flips the field, but uh, you know, no doubt that they, you know, they are by far a finished product on that side of the ball. Um, And they're always looking at at ways to improve. And and I think, you know, limiting the big plays downfield is is certainly going to be a a high priority for them this year. But, uh, you know, I I do like their corners. I do like their safeties. I think, you know, you you would think that they're going to have some significant improvement in that area, having a year of film study and, again, a year of of game experience under their belt. They played a lot of young guys last year in the secondary. Again, some redshirt freshmen, some true freshmen. You know, they're now second and, in some cases, third-year players that – you know, more than anything, have another year of, of, of the, the strength and conditioning program under their belt. So they're now kind of be more fully grown and, and, and uh, you know, faster, longer, stronger. Um, you know, they may, they may look to elevate their play this year and, and really try to put, uh, bring some more physicality to the, to the secondary rather than finesse and, and, and takeaways. Nate, let's move on to talk about the schedule here. Um, it, I gotta say, this is pretty forgiving for Syracuse. Now, out of conference, uh, four of the first five games are out of conference games at Liberty, at Maryland, and then after the Clemson game, home against Western Michigan, home against Holy Cross. Has there been any sort of local, let's say, uh, feedback on a, a uh, an out of conference schedule that includes Liberty, Maryland, Western Michigan, and Holy Cross? I mean, I think there's there there's some segment of the fans that 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 does like that attractive big name on this in the non-conference portion of the schedule. You know, I know, you know, selfishly, I think some fans like for an LSU to come to the Carrier Dome or to go down to LSU and then play in, in Baton Rouge like they like they did a couple years ago. Um, but then there's also a segment of the fan base that that knows you're going to get some quality competition in, in the league portion of the schedule in, in Clemson and in, in most years Florida State, uh, you know Louisville, North Carolina State. That you know why why uh, why beat yourself up? Why punish yourself in the non-conference 
portion of the schedule anyway. You know, I think for a while Syracuse was was fairly aggressive in the non-conference, uh, where they were scheduling in, in some cases multiple Power Five teams a year, and you know they were just you know it, it, for for a team that again needs to be cognizant cognizant of of the depth that it has it doesn't i don't think one of the things they have control over in the scheduling process is non-conference you have no control over who you play in the conference you're going to see the the same uh you know you're going to see seven out of the the eight same teams every year and then you're going to get another rotating one rotate in there uh and then in the years that you play notre dame that's another game that that you lose so you know, you only have <laughs> really control of, of, of three or four games in your schedule any given year. So, uh, you know, some some fans like the idea of, of scheduling wins if you can schedule in wins. Um, because at the end of the season, you know, everyone's talking about Syracuse going 10-3, and three, you know, and there's not a lot of talk of, well, you know, included in that that ten and three was was Western Michigan and uh, Wagner and you know, UConn. And Wagner and, and UConn, who was probably you know the, the worst defensive team in the history of college football last year. You know, people people tend to, to most people tend to gloss over that. Obviously, if you're an average, avid college football fan, you're going to know everything about the sport. But you know, the average fan, I think, just sees ten and three, bowl win, top twenty five team signing up for that every year uh so if you can if you can manipulate that in a way uh in your non-conference schedule i think uh you know fans won't won't complain too much um it is a bit of a scheduling quirk honestly to to open the season uh, with back-to-back true road games i mean the last time that happened was 2010 when syracuse opened up at akron and at washington so uh it's a little unusual uh, i think to see uh, the season opener at Liberty. You know, Liberty's obviously in, in their first year uh, as as bowl eligible as an FBS member. They're, they've now transitioned fully from the FCS level to FBS. So, uh, Syracuse, it, what it is, it's a series where I believe it's a two for one, where there's there's two uh, home games in the Carrier Dome and then uh, the one road game. And it just so happened that the the road game was this year uh, to open up the season. But 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 yeah, you know, I, I agree that it is a fairly forgiving schedule. Uh, but in the same token, there, I mean, a lot of attention is on that that September fourteenth game against Clemson, and the week before they got to go down to to Maryland, who maybe won't be competing for Big Ten championships, but uh, as we've seen the last couple of years, uh, beating Texas. Uh, certainly has talent in that program that if you overlook it, uh, you know, it can, it can scalp you. They got a new coach as well. Mike Loxley's there, former Virginia Tech quarterback, Josh Jackson, uh, heading there as a grad transfer, anticipated that he'll be the starter. So, I mean, there's certainly talent on that Maryland roster. Nate, the one thing I will say is that when looking at the schedule, the road schedule overall is not too, too terrible, right? I mean, at NC State could be tricky, at Florida State could be tricky, but you get Clemson at home. You get Pittsburgh at home, BC, you get Wake, who I, I agree with you, Nate. Wake Forest could be very good this year. Um, I, I'm high on them as well. Heading to Duke and Louisville back-to-back weeks in November, that's not t- too terribly imposing. And, you know, I think having that Boston College game at home in early November, because, you know, BC loves to run the football. The weather's starting to get cold. They can't throw it worth a damn. You got you to gotta have, 
you know, play against a team that has A.J. Dillon, one of the best running backs, forget the ACC in the country, um, and he doesn't get nearly enough hype. So overall, I mean, I think Syracuse's schedule, like you guys were already mentioning, is is relatively manageable. I guess the toughest conference home game, of course, would be Clemson. But outside of that, I mean, NC State maybe, but they're losing a ton of talent. Maybe Boston, that Boston College game in early November. I mean, it's it's really hard to pick out a game outside of Clemson where you're looking at that saying Syracuse doesn't really have a chance to win. I agree. I, I think Syracuse, you know, again, if they're healthy and, and they play well, you know, I don't think there's going to be many games where Syracuse won't be favored by Vegas and oddsmakers going into the game. You know, I, I'm, I'm wary of North Carolina State. I think the Thursday night atmosphere at Carter-Finley Stadium is, is no joke. I think they're going to be... <laughs> you know, they're going to be loud. They're going to be into the game. Uh, Pitt always play. I mean, the, the Pitt-Syracuse rivalry is, is always tough. I think I think that's going to be that three-game stretch, the four games if you want to include North Carolina State. North Carolina State, Pitt, Florida State, BC. And, I, you know, I, I know four games is essentially third of the third of the season, but I think that's really going to be really going to, going to dictate whether this team uh, – can replicate 10 wins and and potentially go to the Orange Bowl as the number two uh, ACC team this year. You know, I think Pitt, Florida State, Boston College, those are going to be physical games for Syracuse. Pitt and BC in particular are always physical. They, they just they run the ball at you. Uh, they grind you out. Uh, you know, Pat Narduzzi, Steve Adazio, they're, you know, they're, they're cut from the same cloth. They're, they're tough-minded football coaches. Uh, you know, Florida State is, is still Florida State. They got big, big physical guys up there. You know, it, 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 I think Florida State, what intrigues me most about that, that game October 26th is that we don't really know how this is going to go. This is kind of a swing season in many cases for Florida State. I mean, I, I think a lot of people expect them to be better than they were a year ago. It's just a matter of how much better. But if they if they do get uh, sort of that magic formula from you know their new offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles and and they start to get some swagger and some confidence, I mean that's that's going to be that's a game that Syracuse can can certainly lose. But you know if they get out of that four game stretch, North Carolina State, Pitt, Florida State, BC, if they get out of that stretch relatively healthy. You know that I think is really going to go a long way into see into seeing if they can finish the year. You know at Duke versus Wake Forest at Louisville, if they can finish strong like they did a year ago, because uh, that that was really so important for them is that they they you know they got over the, they got over the hump so to speak last season in, in that Halloween uh, game against North Carolina State where it was back and forth. It was an offensive slugfest. And they won the game uh, on a last-second turnover, or a last, late fourth-quarter interception from, from uh, Andrew Armstrong on, on Ryan Finley. Alton Robinson uh, pressured Finley, and he, and he made a mistake, and, and Syracuse won the game. Uh, but and they got bowl eligible for the first time in forever. Uh, but they didn't, you know, they didn't stop there. They got out of that game healthy, and they were able to roll through the month of November, uh, with the exception of the Notre Dame game, and, and go on to win. Nine and nine and ten games in the postseason. So, uh, you know, I think similar as we look at the schedule, I think that again is going to be a key stretch where you see sort of the, the personnel and the styles that that those teams like to play. You know, particularly Pitt and BC, if they can absorb those games and get out of those games clean, you know, I think they're going to be positioned to finish strong like they were a year ago. 
I've got a couple of interesting scheduling quirks I wanted to point out with the Syracuse schedule. Um, one of the first ones here, so the first five games Syracuse plays all just straight Saturdays. So it's at Liberty, at Maryland, home against Clemson, Western Michigan, and Holy Cross. After that Holy Cross game, the next game that Syracuse plays on seven days rest or less, and by the way, I say or less as if Syracuse is actually playing every game this year on seven days rest or more. Um, the next game that they play after September 28th against Holy Cross that's on more, on less or on at right at seven days of rest is November 2nd against Boston College. They get a week off and then they go to NC State on a Thursday night. And then the following week, it's at home against Pittsburgh on a Friday night. And the following week, it's at home uh, or it's on the road in, in Tallahassee against Florida State on a Saturday. So they get an extra day of rest in at least before each of those games, which is really nice there in the middle of that schedule. And again, as you, as you mentioned, Nate, in the really important part of that schedule where it feels like that that four-game stretch is probably your difference between 7-5 and five and 11-1. and one. If you go 4-0, if you go 0-4, I think that's really the stretch that dictates that. Um, I will say also, this is a really good year to be getting Duke as your crossover game. Um, not that, and, and I should be, I should probably be, be a little bit fair here is like, I don't know who in the coastal is particularly threatening for Syracuse at this point. Um, I'm not so sure that Miami would be all that threatening. I mean, you get Pittsburgh who's maybe kind of threatening at times, but um, Duke feels like less threatening than in previous years would have been, uh, especially with Daniel Jones out the door. He was a high draft pick. Um, keep that in mind. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I lean, I, I think this is very forgiving. I, you know, it, we talk a lot about how the Atlantic seems like it's a much tougher division to play in. And, and at this point it's purely because Clemson's in it, but you only play Clemson once. And after that, you got five other teams you can play. And there, there's no clear dominant team, I think in there of the other six, not named Clemson. And I think this sets up pretty nicely. I mean, Clemson gets, or, or, or Syracuse gets some of their tougher games at home, getting Pittsburgh at home, getting Boston college at home, getting Wake Forest at home. Road trips again later in the year at NC State, at Florida State, at Duke, and at Louisville. I mean, Duke and Louisville should be winnable. I, I think this sets up nicely, Mike. I, I'm going to say uh, record prediction wise, I think I'm still going to go nine and three. I, I mean, it sets it sets up nicely, and if everything goes right, I think they should probably go eleven and one. But there's a there's still a little bit of a piece of me that wants to that has a hard time believing that last year is the law and not the, the exception. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know if I can trust this, this team and this coaching staff just yet to very consistently put together super high level performance. And now we sit here and say nine wins. I mean, that is high level performance, but I think if, if I had a little more trust, I would believe that they could go 10 and two or, or 11 and one and, and really take that next step forward as Dino keeps building this program here. Um, Mike, what's your thought record-wise? So I'm in the same boat as you. I'm going to go with nine and three. I think they go five and three in league play. And the reason why I think they're going to go nine and three is because I look at this Syracuse roster. Offensive line's an obvious concern. And while the defense took steps forward last year, it took steps forward by Syracuse standards, right? And what I mean by that is, based off of the offense that they play, they took steps forward on the defensive side of the ball. They improved their yards per play average. It was still not great. Um, they should have a very good pass rush. The secondary should be good. Uh, but there is some concerns there, right? I mean, they did not have a great, uh, passing defense last year. You're going to be playing some teams 
on the schedule um, that have not prolific passing offenses, but at least good passing offenses, right? Uh, Liberty's got a decent passing offense. Maryland should be okay with Josh Jackson. Clemson, obviously, has Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, who knows what NC State's going to look like, Florida State. But you are playing some decent passing offenses on the schedule, which makes me a little bit concerned in that regard. I think they have an 11-win ceiling. I do. Um, I think this could easily be anywhere from eight wins if the defense is bad, the offensive line's bad, and Tommy DeVito has the turnover bug or the defense doesn't turn the ball over as well as they did last year and give the ball back to a prolific offense. And is this offense even going to be prolific? I mean, I I expect it to be very, very good once again. Um, I don't think changing quarterbacks makes all the difference in the world. I I do think Eric Dungey was very good, but I think Tommy DeVito can be every bit as good. Um, But when you look at the schedule and all the uncertainty and, and you look at the uncertainty on the Syracuse roster as well, I think nine and three is a pretty safe bet with an 11 win ceiling. Certainly if they're healthy, Nate, like you mentioned, and if the defense takes another step forward and if the offense really doesn't drop off all that much, despite the loss of the playmakers on that side of the ball. Nate, do you have a record prediction on this schedule? I do. I, I agree with, with both of you in terms of the overall range here. I, I do think it, it can go you know, anywhere from, from seven or eight wins to 10 or 11 wins. You know, so I'll say that. You know, I do think the program is, is further along now uh, where you know, unless it was really a, 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 an exceptional catastrophic injury situation, I mean almost like abnormally catastrophic, I do think uh, no matter what, I think the floor is still, you know, bowl eligibility, six wins. Um, you know, to, to kind of to, to give you the juice and what you what you want, I'm, I'm going to go 10-2 and two for the record. Um, I, I generally don't like to predict, quote-unquote, injuries because I do think that, again, I'll reiterate again, I, I really do think that is, is the whole key to this season. I think they have to have – they have to have their guys healthy. They have to have their best players out there because I think if they are operating on all cylinders, I don't think there's there's a, a better team in the league outside of Clemson. I think that is is what you're going to see. And, and I think you know ten and two. You know, obviously Clemson. Yeah, you know, you really have to be. You know, you are you are going out there to pick them. I, I mean, I, not not to say that Syracuse can't beat Clemson this season. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, they, they deserve to be the favorite in that game. The Tigers do. Uh, and then I, and I just think it's hard to – I think it's just hard to go 11-1. I mean, it's not many teams are, are built to go 11-1. So I think someone else, whether it's North Carolina State or Florida State, I think one of those two road games they're going to get stung at. Uh, you know, I tend to lean towards North Carolina State right now just because of the Thursday night environment. Um but I do think that if, if they are healthy, if, if their team is intact, they have enough. They have the most. They have second most talent in the ACC, um, which is it's, it's a it's a statement that not many people, I, I don't think, would have been uh, able to say you know two short years ago. But but you know all these other teams, Florida State, North Carolina State. Boston College, you know, Wake Forest. I mean, I mean, we, we, we can talk about Syracuse having roster holes and roster deficiencies, and if they get bit at one or two positions, you know, uh, the offensive line it maybe isn't isn't great. I mean, you can say that about every team in the country, more or less, and, and it changes the ceiling to some degree. So, you know, I think if if you kind of just if you kind of set aside 
and, and just acknowledge that injuries are part of the game and you, and you really can't predict when those are going to strike. I think if you just kind of measure it roster by roster, I, I think they have enough talent to win to win 10 games this year. I do. Mike, I have good news for you. What do you got? We've all sat here and said that we kind of agree that this is going to probably a hard floor at six wins, probably just a, a bad luck floor at, at seven wins. Vegas win total right now? Seven and a half. So you might want to hit the over on that. I'd get in on that one. I kind of think so. I mean, to think that Syracuse would win at least eight games, again, against this schedule and, and given what they've got coming back and what they were last year, a little bit of drop-off wouldn't shock me. But, this again, the schedule and, and what I expect them to be is not that intimidating. Eight and four should be a pretty reasonable expectation here. So might want to get in on that. I, I will say that the one catch here is that the uh, the odds on it are minus 130. So you're not getting a, a ton of juice on this one either. But, uh, you know, take a look. Take a look. Still money. <laughs> it is still money. It is still money. Uh, Mike, anything else for Nate while we got him? I think we're good. I think so, Nate. This has been an incredibly, incredibly thorough and uh, informative preview. So thank you so much for your time and for joining us here. Uh, do you want to take a moment and tell the people where they can find your stuff? Absolutely. So uh, you can read all my work and my colleague, Stephen Bailey, uh, does a fantastic job covering the team as well. We're over on Syracuse.com. And uh, I don't I don't tweet as often as he does, but I am on Twitter at Mink Nate. So you just inverse my name, flip my name around at Mink Nate. Uh, those are the two primary platforms uh, you can you can uh, interact with me on. So really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on. Uh, happy to always inform uh, the audience about Syracuse because I think, uh, you know, in ACC land, it's it's sometimes the forgotten northern outpost up here. But but uh, with, with Dino at the helm, uh, people are talking about him, people are paying attention, and it, it obviously is more fun to, to uh, write about and cover a, a, a team that is uh, – uh, has people talking and, and is, a, is an engaging and exciting brand of football. So appreciate you guys uh, having me on and, and uh, informing your listeners and your audience a little bit about the Orange as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if they're the forgotten team of the Great White North and the ACC, it, it won't be for long because, again, <laughs> 10 wins last year, they went and uh, I forget which bowl game it was, but, I mean, they were pretty clearly the, the gem of the conference not named Clemson. So I don't think that lasts long. It, it's hard to forget about that. Yeah, well, you know, and the running joke up here all the time is when's basketball season start? Well, finally, it's it's it seems like a two sport town again for the first time in in a couple decades. So uh, hopefully, people this gives them uh, uh, an appropriate distraction until uh, basketball season starts in, in early November. Go ACC! Yeah. All right, Mike, that's Nate Mink. Nate, Nate thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'd love to have you on sometime soon if you want to check in on how things are going midseason. Absolutely. You have to enjoy it anytime. Thanks, Nate. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for your time. We'll talk soon. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. You too. All right, Mike. That's Nate Mink uh, once again up at uh, the Syracuse newspaper, and it is Syracuse.com. My gosh, I am a mess tonight, and I apologize for that. It's okay. Thanks for hanging with me there with the audio issues. And for all of you listening, I'm I'm back. Um, 
not sure what's going on. We'll get that figured out, but at least you guys can hear me now. That's right. That's right. Once again, we are uh, we are sorting through audio issues as as is tradition around here. Uh, yep. Mike, we need to get out of here. We got more previews we got to do, but in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. Again, I am at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can go find Nate on Twitter. He is at Mink Nate. All one word. Um, he, he does a really good job covering Syracuse, and there's a there's a very good reason that we wanted him to come on with us. So uh, go check him out and give him a follow if you would. Uh, Nate, Nate, my gosh, Mike. Uh, they can find us in a lot of places now. Uh, we're on the Anchor platform, and as a result, we're on iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. If y'all have questions, comments, concerns for us about the ACC, about where to find our podcast, or about anything else, you can send it all to the longest email address known to man, Basketball Conference Podcast, at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you, and I got that part right at least. Uh, Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Um, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts from. A lot of you apparently get them from Apple Podcasts. I was looking at the anchor stats. It's almost 70% of our listenership, Joey, on Apple Podcasts, which I guess makes sense with the popularity of iPhones, but hey, there you go. I actually just own a lot of iPhones, and I hijack my family's iPhones and just subscribe on all of them, and so we get free plays out of it. I like it. Confession. Confession time. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes, Mike. Uh, I think that's all I got. You got anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. You want to go preview some more teams? Yeah, and, you know, before that point, I'll try to figure out what's going on with my audio. <laughs> that would be a good idea. Let's do that. Uh, all right, well, we'll be back, be back soon with more team previews. So, uh, in the meantime, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Nate Mink, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC. Yeah!